Good morning. I will be reading Deuteronomy 11 this morning. Deuteronomy 11. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh the king of, e to Pharaoh the king of Egypt and to all his land, and what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great works of the Lord that he did. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess, and that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that you are entering to take possession of is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it, like the garden of vegetables, but the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give you rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for all your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain. And the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in the house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens and are above the earth. <clears throat> For if you will be careful to do, all this, to, to do all this commandment that I command you, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates, to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you, and the dread of you on all the land that, it, that you shall tread, as he promised you. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today. 
to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, toward the going down of the sun, in the land of the Canaanites who live in Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the Oak of Moreh? For you are to cross over the Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today. Our sermon text this morning is Mark 10. We're looking specifically at verses 13 through 16, and you can uh, turn your Bibles to that scripture. This morning we want to consider what Jesus has to say about children. We see that Jesus demonstrates a value in children not appreciated by many cultures. And he rebukes the disciples who were trying to exclude them. He teaches them a proper respect, and then he demonstrates that respect. The Deuteronomy passage that uh, was just read makes clear that, that in God's economy of culture, how people relate to children is very important. In the first part of that chapter, Moses instructs his people to love God and to obey him. He reminds them of the magnificent grace of God on their behalf. All the mighty things that God had done for them. And then he gives them warning for the pitfalls that would betray their faith. And one of those pitfalls was the neglect of their children. And so he instructs them in in the verses 18 to 21 there to carefully teach their children the things that he taught them. That by teaching and passing on the goodness of God and the commandments of God, that the children of Israel would maintain the glory of God on the earth. And so the interesting image there, he sets before them a blessing and a curse. Are you going to do and teach my ways or are you going to go after your own? And I think how we teach our children, specifically shows exactly which one of those curses that we're going to choose. Excuse me, whether we're going to choose the blessing or the curse. Now, interestingly, or, or differently from a majority of the world, the children of Israel viewed children as the blessing of God. We see many instances in the Old Testament where a barren mother felt useless because she could not bear children. And this came from This came from an understanding that children were a blessing of God. That children were not a hindrance. They were a good gift of God. Their pagan neighbors were not so often respectful of children. Many engaged in in child sacrifice that used their children as a means of appeasing a pagan God. Today we live in a similar culture. A culture that does not see children as a blessing. Children in the modern world are seen as an unpleasant byproduct of fulfilling our sexual desires. 
in our abortive culture, children are viable as long as they are born into an ideal and planned situation. They are a matter of convenience. And rather than seeing children as an integral part of the flourishing of society, our world sees children as an optional convenience. Rather than the blessing of God upon a person, rather than those who will carry on the kingdom of God, they're seen as those which validate a person. If we look at the the LGBT agenda, one of the things that they push for is parental rights because it legitimizes who they are. And so we see children existing for the glory and reputation of their parents. What are some examples of that? A speaker at the recent uh, DNC convention declared that as a woman who made the choice to have an abortion, she did so because her situation was not right. And now, as a married woman with two children, she had the right to create the situation that worked best for her family. And so abortion isn't regarded as a destruction of a life. It's regarded as a building block to a good family. But because it allows the individual to construct the family circumstances they desire. The science of gene manipulation is allowing parents to design a child. Not satisfied with the genetics God has given us, it's become our culture's goal to create children as we would like them to be. You see, I get to create a son who is a man as the world sees him. I get to create a daughter that is beautiful in the eyes of the covers of magazines. Instead of procreation, we have self-recreation. And thirdly, the ghastly practice of determining in utero if a child has any defects and terminating that pregnancy causes parents choices they shouldn't have to face. The worth of a child is not based on the stress it causes its parents. The worth of the child is granted by God himself in creating him. These three things belie our culture's understanding that children exist to make much of ourselves. And so we must admit that our culture has a very low view of children. Not unlike the disciples here in our text. Now I'd probably say they're probably not quite as as bad as our culture, but we see some of that understanding. And we see in our text that Jesus confronts that rejection of children, and he rebukes them angrily, and he teaches them the high regard that he has for children. Our text is Mark 10, and I'll begin reading at verse 13. This is God's word. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, 
Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus is in an extended period of teaching. And so we see in the previous chapters that he's interacting with his disciples. He's interacting with the scribes and Pharisees and the crowds. And he's teaching them of his ways. And I think if we look at the way people have painted this little story, it's often Jesus under a tree and some people milling around. And um, Interestingly, as I studied, a number of people actually think this was in a house. So maybe we need to talk to the artists. Um, but the Jesus was teaching in a house, and the disciples were, in a sense, the doorkeepers. And um, the disciples were doing Jesus a favor and keeping these distractions away. Why would a teacher want a, a rowdy bunch of kids running around while he was teaching? And you can, you can see the understanding in their mind. And he, he was teaching the adults, the, the smart people. Now, the, the verbs here indicate that the occurrence was a constant thing. It wasn't that one family came, but that they kept coming. They kept coming to bring their children to Jesus, to receive his blessing. And the disciples kept turning them away. Um, similar verb is in verse 14, um, where Jesus says, do not hinder them. Uh, he's, the, the real structure is, do not keep hindering them. Do not keep them away. Let the children keep coming to me. And so these people, we must ask the question, why were they bringing their children to Jesus? And whether this was um, superstitious or improper is, is, is a little bit beside the point. But I would ask us the question, um, in what ways are we seeking blessing for our children? Are we surrounding them with people who will be a blessing to them, that will bless them, that will regard them well? The focus here, though, is not necessarily on the intent of the parents, but Jesus is attacking the intent of the disciples. The parents were seeking the good of their children. The disciples were seeking their own importance. The term they're used to, to describe the disciples was that they rebuked these parents. Um, and, and I can imagine that. Um, I have my own moments of wanting to rebuke, um, especially maybe when I'm in a concert or something like that, and I feel like I'm, my hearing is more important than other people's. Um, and I'm looking after myself. And we can see the disciples doing that as well. They were defending their own turf, Jesus was their rabbi, and he was too good to spend time with mere children. John Calvin says the, disciple, the disciples reckon it unworthy of his character to receive children. So that kind of gives us the nature of the disciples. Now Jesus doesn't take too kindly to this. Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes them for hindering the children. And it says that he was indignant um, and even angry that they would do so. 
that maybe flies in our understanding of Jesus a little bit, but clearly here, he was upset. And he says, let them come. Do not hinder them. These commands are imperatives. They're not suggestions. They're not um, requests for action. They're imperatives. Do this. Don't stop them coming. Let them come. Jesus is instructive, not suggestive. And out of that rebuke, we see Jesus teaching his disciples how to properly understand the role of children. And he gives us two phrases. He gives us two phrases. For to such belong the kingdom of God. And then he ratchets it up a notch and says, if you don't come to me like a child, you won't come. So the first one, for to such belong the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God belongs to these people, so let them come. Deuteronomy 11 is clear that the future of of the Israelites was bound up in their ability to pass along their faith by teaching them and providing witness to them to the goodness of God, the Israelites would continue to be a people bringing glory to God for centuries. I think in this text, Jesus is saying the same thing to us. Your children are the future kingdom of God. They are not a hindrance or an inconvenience. They are the future kingdom of God. And how are we, as parents, as church, as community, understanding our children as the future kingdom of God. Now, I'll make an unapologetic plug here for an upcoming education conference. I think it's the second week of September. Uh, Brother Patrick Heatwall is going to be here. He's going to be speaking to us on the necessity of education to prepare our children to be workers in the kingdom of God. So, that's for free. And so Jesus is saying that raising children for the glory of God is not about children who reflect well on their parents, on their earthly parents, but children who would reflect well on their heavenly Father. The second phrase then, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Matthew 18 in in a similar passage says, unless you come like a child, you will never enter. Enter. One commentator says that instead of the children becoming like the disciples, the disciples had to become like the children. You see, the disciples are at the door saying, No, you're not like us. You're not good enough. You can't go in. Jesus says, Disciples, no. You need to be like them to be able to come to me. So, If we long to be with Jesus, if we long to enter the kingdom, then we better pay attention to this instruction. And I think there's there's two ways to understand this. And and they're not necessarily in opposition, but there may be different, different facets of the same thing. The first is that the faith born in a child from a young age sets the stage for a good life of faithfulness. 2 Timothy 1 describes the faith of Timothy as a faith that dwelt first in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. 
And now I am sure it dwells in you as well. We must, from their young age, involve our children in spiritual discussions and teaching and allow them to fan into flame the human yearning for God. Let us never indicate to our children that they can't understand that understanding God is too much. But let us help them understand to the fullest of their abilities the glory and greatness of God. These children came, the second, era, the second way we can see this is that the children came to receive a blessing of God and they didn't come in their own righteous demand for blessing. They came with a request to receive. You see, our posture to Jesus is always one of supplication. Jesus, grant me what you deem necessary. Father, in your grace, Grant me a blessing. Jesus, save me from myself. You see, we don't enter the the presence of God and say, God, you owe me. I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and you owe me. We come as a child who requests to receive. Now, you may say that if your children are like mine, they don't always come nicely and request to receive. But there is uh, the innocent nature of a child that is present. We never come as one demanding what is due us. I would ask us, how often are we the older brother in the story of the prodigal son? The older brother says to his father, look, I've done all these things. I've been obedient. I've worked hard in your vineyard. I've been the good son. Where's my fatted cow? And the father says, all I have is yours. No, we come as the prodigal. I deserve nothing. I have betrayed you. Please give me what you deem necessary. A child comes with openness. And we as well must come with an openness to receive from God. And so the blessing is received as a gift. Entrance in the kingdom is received as a gift. Finally here, Jesus demonstrates the value of children by his actions. He gathers the children to himself. He holds them and he blesses them. It really is a wonderful picture. Jesus is a teacher, but he also displays in action his teaching. And I would ask us, how do we as a church demonstrate the value of children? I see many of you pay special attention to children, and that is good and right, the handing out of the candy and the kind words. That's great. Bless them by showing you consider them a part of God's kingdom. Get down on their level and talk to them. As you can see, in our efforts here at church that we value this, um, in, in the Sunday school and in the other areas, 
We take seriously the directives in Deuteronomy 11 to impress upon our children the goodness and faithfulness of God. And a shameless plug for Sunday school, if you are willing to invest in significant ways in the lives of our children, that is a a wonderful place to do so. I'm sure the superintendents would be happy to talk to you. But this investment in the future kingdom of God is doing exactly what Jesus is doing. He brings them on his lap and he blesses them. He cares for them. And that must be our posture. In conclusion here, children are a vital part of our church and of our families. Let us not exclude them, but in every way possible, find ways to bless them and impress upon them the truth of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, you have given us much. You have blessed us with much. Father, you have blessed us with children, as a church, as families. Father, help us to see them as that, a blessing from you. And help us with seriousness approach our task of, of bringing up the future kingdom of God. that we may teach them well your truth. And Father, as well, give give us the spirit and the nature of a child as we approach you, not as ones who demand, but those who are willing to receive. We know that you are a gracious giver. And Father, we recognize that the greatest gift we have received is Christ our Savior who stood in the place of our sinfulness and bore our penalty. Father, as we go throughout this week, may we be reflectors of your glory. We pray this through Christ.